This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I want to talk about what we can learn from Mrs. Doubtfire. That's right, the movie. But first, let's get a word from our sponsor, Napa Auto Tech Training. Napa Auto Tech offers three-hour virtual technical classes that can be accessed from the comfort of your home. To find out what courses are available, go to NapaAutoTech.com and click on the Napa Auto Tech class calendar link. I guess I'll give a little bit of a build up to this. Not that I've been racking my brain about this for terrible long, but a week or two ago, I was on the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast with Sean Tipping and we were discussing, well, a lot because, well, you know me, I can't really stick to a subject. In this case, we were talking about the drive to become better. After recording and all that, kind of was done, right? We talked about it. My two youngest kids, son and stepdaughter, I was listening to them watching Mrs. Doubtfire, the movie with Robin Williams, Pierce Bronson, Sally Field, where Robin Williams' character is married to Sally Field's character. I think his name was Daniel and her name was started with an M. Miranda? They're married. They have three kids. They both know there's some tensions and things aren't going super smoothly, but he's comfortable enough with things because he still loves his wife. By the nature of the character and really what the character does for a living, he's immature. And Miranda's character has had enough. She's quote unquote grown up. She has new focuses on her career and the family and kids and planning for the future something that her husband really doesn't really doesn't do and it kind of goes against his nature which is interestingly enough not to go all relationship because then we'd have to get margaret on here it's what initially attracted her to him and then that's how they ended up together and that's how they ended up married but he didn't grow with her or at least in that kind of that same direction so she wants a divorce it crushes them of course and then comes the kids visitation and times have changed this was recorded or filmed the movie was filmed back in the 90s i think early to middle 90s things have kind of changed at least for some states or counties or maybe people where fathers tend to have it just seems like it's a little more even going in we don't have the mom bias any in the court and that's not to say everywhere i'm sure some of you are listening right now pounding the steering wheel or something screaming yeah right let me tell you my story and i hear you but i'm thinking from really a thirty thousand foot view things have evened up a little bit anyways the story of the movie is he doesn't have a whole lot of visitation with the kids and he comes up with a scheme and that is to dress up as an old lady and become kind of their nanny mrs doubtfire and then the shenanigans and Robin Williams being Robin Williams, improvising, uh, as we learn. And as I think almost everyone would assume in everything he ever did since, oh, I don't know, Mork and Mindy and on up. Of course, his ex, Miranda, meets somebody else and it just so happens to be Pierce Bronson. So for the vast majority of us, that would be crushing to see our exes with somebody like Pierce Bronson, unless you're you know, Bryn Klein, who that's a step down, right? But 
the character Pierce Bronson plays a stew and he's a successful and of course good looking guy. But counter to most stories like this, Stu isn't actually a bad guy. A lot of times the new significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, they're kind of heinous in some way. They have some plans that don't involve the kids usually, or they're super nice to the kids in the presence of the parent or parents. But then when they're not around, different story. But in this movie, genuinely cares about the kids. He genuinely cares or loves Miranda. That's counter to most of the shows and movies that we see up to that point. And in a sense, and that's kind of where I'm going with this idea is I just got done recording with Sean. We're talking about what it takes to, to the drive, the motivation, the inspiration to be better and better. I'm overhearing Mrs. Doubtfire and it occurs to me, Stu is not a bad guy. Daniel, Robin Williams' character, is trying so hard to spend time with the kids. And he sees the stew, the stew guy, and he's, it's competition, it's jealousy, hatred, and yet it's motivation. Stu is forcing Daniel to be a better father, to be a better dad. And that's kind of the culmination of where this goes when he finally gets outed. It was all a, an act, it was all a sham. Mrs. Doubtfire doesn't really exist. It was him the whole time lying. And yet he's become a better father, a better dad, right? Anybody can be a father. It takes takes more more effort to be a good dad. And he does that. And he's rewarded with by Miranda specifically, individually, independently to see more of the kids and be more active in their lives because he has stepped up to become a better dad. And and maybe not because of Stu, but finally through the maturation process of becoming a better dad and understanding just where things are at with his ex now, maybe more comfortable with this guy she's with being a pretty good guy that he's also a better ex, if you will. Which turns out that's really important. Uh, Something that doesn't get talked about a whole lot is maybe the significant other or ourselves aren't the best spouses. But it turns out we could be really, really good exes, if you will, co-parents. We can get along with our exes and their new families. And especially if there's kids involved, right? Almost primarily if kids are involved, where I guess I will quote the uh, New York City divorce attorney James Sexton that our love of our kids far far exceeds any hatred we have for anybody on the planet including our ex for 98 years the Napa name has meant quality parts and service it also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business no doubt the technician shortage is impacting everyone but you're not facing this battle alone Napa has the solution by making Napa Autotech training available near you. Napa Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. 
It's a fact. Technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Nap Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Nap Autotech offers, contact NapaAutotech.com. Motivation to get better, to be better. And where does that motivation come from? Now we're talking about the auto repair shop. Does it come within, from within? Does it come from within the shop, the new hire, the new guy? Or are you the new person coming in and there is a tech? that kind of set the standard, not just for performance, but maybe attitude, maybe things outside of just spinning the wrenches or diagnosing the cars. It's everything else they do, the helping hand, the way they interact with clients. Same with if we're talking about service advisors. Are you the, the old guard? Uh, are you the newbie coming in? Maybe not new to the profession, but you're new to the shop. And there's somebody there that's, you know, inspiring or forces you to be better, forces you to sit back and go, man, what do I got to do to be more like that? What do I got to do to interact better with the customers or read customers better so that I can adjust how I respond to them? Or maybe just scrap my whole spiel and start over and mimic them a little bit and, and crediting them for it which I'll get back to in a, a little bit here. In the shop, same thing. Maybe the way I'm attacking these vehicles is way wrong or my hyper-focus on fixing cars. You pay me to fix cars. You don't pay me to clean. You don't pay me to go help a coworker. You don't pay me to give a customer a ride home. Maybe that uh, tech that's just kind of killing it or just being a really good leader is the one that you look to and go, ah, damn, I step up my game. I gotta step up my game. It could be little things. It could be big things. How they spend a few minutes looking over a job, looking over some service info before they dive in. And then when they dive in, it's with purpose. It's with a plan. Maybe that's something you can learn from. And I don't even want to talk about, like, I know that's a good way to attack cars. Maybe some of them, maybe it's just having at it. Reckless abandon. Okay, not reckless. Strategic abandon. <laughs> but diagnostics even. Watching somebody that can figure out these cars. Maybe there's a vehicle that was just destroying you. And finally, they kicked it to Tech A, Tech B, whatever you want to label them. And he or she has it figured out in, we'll just say an hour or less, whatever. Some time. That seems very good. Rapid. And of course, you're going to go over there and ask, what was it? Or you'll, you'll find out what it was, but maybe how did you attack the problem? Learning that strategy, learning that how they attack the problem. Maybe, maybe you were under the, for some drivability problem, you're under the hood 
and you get your meter and your scope and you're just checking everything out and you find out they spent 10, 15 minutes just sitting in the driver's seat with a scan tool, scrolling through the data, scrolling through the data, looking at these PIDs, figuring out what the PIDs are, what do they mean? What are they pertaining to? What are they telling me? What are they not telling me? Maybe that's what they did or maybe not. Maybe they keyed on a uh, symptom. It took them in a direction that you were not going in. And there's something to be gleaned from, okay, that was a clue that I, I missed. I got it. Okay. I got to step up my game. I got to use all my senses to get direction with these cars. And I guess we don't need specifics, but that's the idea is a coworker, a tech down the street, a tech online that you saw a case study. You saw them describe some car that was in and you're reading about it. Watch it. Maybe they did a video. I don't know. And just kind of sitting there going, man, oh man, that was in my bay. Could I have done that? Would I have done that? Would I have thought that way? Would I have, would I have taken? I think that was a big creative leap. And now in conversation or somebody else thought the same thing, reading the conversation, it wasn't such a creative leap. All right. Is that something I can add to my arsenal? A lot of times for arsenals, we talk about tools and equipment and service information and resources like that, where we can go to get information, diagnostic network, stuff like that. We forget a terrific diagnostic tool, of course, between our ears, but perspective. What position am I going to take to look at this? And then maybe instead of looking at it from over here on the left, I stop and I look at it from over here on the right. You know what I mean? Just changing my perspective a little bit and learning that from other techs, how they look at a problem, how they start that process. Because maybe you're starting out pulling codes and then using your senses to decide what to scope. And maybe so whoever you're watching, maybe they don't. Maybe a lot of it's scan tool or vice versa. Maybe they look at codes, they look at a couple things of data, and that's enough to give them a reason to hook a scope, a meter, a, a test tool of some sort. So I just think there's a lot of value in that, looking to others. Not that I have such a unique look on things, but I've never heard anyone describe Mrs. Doubtfire in that way. It's usually just the comedic genius that's Robin Williams knowing that he's come up with those lines on the spot and he probably recorded 20, 30, 40 other takes, some of them absolutely filthy and unusable in a PG rated movie, but nonetheless, probably absolutely hilarious. Hilarious. I guess that takes me to the second part of this that I mentioned, giving credit. So I'm sure everybody knows who Robin Williams is, right? A stand-up comic, he came out of Juilliard for acting, does stand-up, does improv, does a lot of drugs. Not where I'm going with that, though. He's something like, I don't know, that we've ever seen before. I, I Just kind of scrolling through comics, actors, stuff like that. I can't think of anybody that was that way, that had that kind of that machine gun delivery and You didn't know where he was coming from, where he was going, but ultimately it was probably going to end up hilarious. Side note, 
not that it's all that important, but honestly, when celebrities pass away, generally it doesn't bother me too much. It's, it's not like I know them. I, I know these characters they play, maybe slivers of their personality, which they're still probably projecting something when they're being interviewed and whatnot. But when they pass away, I mean, generally it doesn't bother me. There are two celebrities that when they passed away, like it hurt. It was depressing. And one of them was Robin Williams. The other one, oddly enough, maybe not oddly enough, but you you might find left field, Rowdy Roddy Piper. That one hit me hard. I don't know why. Finding out Robin passed away hit me hard. And then the suicide component, which ends up being layered. There's more to it than that. They thought that he had Parkinson's. Turns out he had Louis body dementia, which, I mean, his brain was, it turned itself against him. It's horrible. He couldn't trust what he was seeing anymore. And he was having trouble with memory, is having trouble seeing things. Horrible. I don't know how one would ever say there's good or anything in it, but that his suicide might have been one of those last things to he either did to protect himself from dealing with the further just awfulness of it or because of it. And specifically, if they're treating him for Parkinson's, a lot of times the side effects are dark, dark depression, suicidal thoughts, but not the direction I wanted to go with this. More importantly was the way he could improvise and draw upon so much material led to him kind of having a reputation in the comedy world, the comedy or comedian community for stealing jokes. Because if he watched you and he saw you do something really funny, he may not go on stage two weeks later or months later with any intention of reusing that joke or reusing that idea. But that's what would happen because of the way he was just free-flowing, going with the flow, again, improvising. And you'd hear about Robin Williams sitting at the comedy store or the improv, writing checks to comedians for jokes that he may say something on stage and then afterwards be like, oh, no, yeah, I owe somebody something for that or getting called to the carpet about it. I've also heard that he wrote checks to comedians for jokes he didn't steal, that they just said that he did. I don't know if that's true. It's not that important. The idea of it, though, is, I think, intellectual property. And it gets rough in our world, but it's something I've talked about before, and it's, it means a lot. Giving credit where credit's due. If you learn something from somebody, you should reference it. You should at least give them credit. You know what I mean? If you learned how to look at fuel trims from whatever trainer or whoever, whatever author wrote the article, and you're rattling that information off either as a presenter or online giving somebody some advice on how to do something like, no, 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 this is how you look at the fuel trims. And oh, by the way, I learned it from so-and-so, or I learned it from this resource. I learned it from Napa Auto Tech Training. I learned it from Rich Falco. That it doesn't hurt. In fact, I think it helps everybody to just make mention. I picked this up from 
even if they didn't come up with it, right? Because that's where it gets dicey, but it's really hard to trace everything back to the origin, right? I don't know how we do that unless they say it. So I learned from Scott Manna, who says he learned it from John Thornton. Okay. And I guess I just try to make mention of what I picked up from who when I can. I try. I've blown it. Don't get me wrong. I've blown it. Or I've miscredited accidentally. But I think we can learn from Robin Williams that sometimes we accidentally grab material from wherever we read it online. I read it on a post by John Rogers. I should give John Rogers credit when I can regurgitate it out. Did I learn it from Ed Page? Did I learn it from Earl Davis? Some of these really, really, really smart guys online. Did I learn it from Joey Fitzpatrick? The name, because this could go on and on and on. I'll have to get Tanner and Brent back on here so we can just spit out a bunch of more names that people need to know. Some real, real industry stalwarts out there. But yeah, Robin would accidentally, I believe, and again, I don't know the guy, didn't know him, but I would like to believe just the nature of the way it was very random, going with the crowd, drawing on whatever he could out of the ether, and sometimes accidentally grabbing something he saw that somebody else produced. If we can do that, and don't mean the actual taking it and using it without some sort of mention, I I think that's a, a worthwhile lesson to learn. And as well as maybe watching Mrs. Doubtfire with a little bit different perspective, that there's good people out there that initially we may find to be in competition with us or we may want to be competitive with. And yet, okay, part of the competition may make us better, but really watching them and realizing we got to step up our game. That's something I do a lot of watching, reading, and hanging around some of these really, really brilliant people. And it motivates me to try to be better. So hope you enjoyed this. I kind of got a kick out of it. If you like these type of episodes, let me know. If you're sick of them, let me know. If you have any topics, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to send questions for the Justin Morgan and Matt Fonslow answer everything coming up. So if you have questions about really anything, make sure to send those in to mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Nap Auto Tech Training for sponsoring. Thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.